we're talking about the last installment here of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now we're talking this particular day, we're going to be looking at Romans 8, and that we're united by the Holy Spirit, now listen, to Christ seated in glory. Now that's what the Holy Spirit's coming to do. Now, I'm trying to come at this whole study a little differently from what we're used to when we hear the studies about the Holy Spirit. Normally, the ideas that we're getting is the Holy Spirit has come into our lives, just that's where the Holy Spirit's coming from. The age to which we're aspiring, that we're hopeful of entering, he's coming from that age into our age, and he's setting up residence in us to cause us to have a great anticipation for the future. And that that future anticipation then would form its way into our everyday fabric of living. Yes, we're living for today and all of its turmoil, but because the Holy Spirit's in our lives, we know the future and we can feel the pull of the future and that of the future gives us great hope and confidence. Now in Romans 8, beginning at verse 5, Paul writes, For those who live according to their sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Because the sinful mind is hostile to God, it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by their sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by your sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers... We have an obligation, but it is not to our sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the Spirit who makes you sons. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 
the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently for it. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know how we ought to pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And the time in the future is when it is there in fullness, in that partiality that is real and that we experience and we say it's just tremendous when these things of the Spirit burst in upon us and we kind of revel in them and kind of glory in those times that we experience these things. These are not things to be looked back on and say how I would like to recapture that moment, that feeling, that experience. But rather, these things that we experience are to lead us to look ahead into the future and say, if I experience this by the Holy Spirit, what will it be like in the future when we're experienced in the Holy Spirit in his age and in his fullness? And so the work of the Holy Spirit is to point us to the glories of Christ that are yet future and to give us the certainty that that is what we are going to attain to because of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Now, the first thing that we see is that the Holy Spirit has been given to us as an earnest. We could say he's been given to us as a down payment. He's been given to us as a guarantee of the final installment. Now, you give earnest money. So every once in a while, what do we do? We've got to buy a house or something like that. Well, the person wants a contract, right? And what does the person want is some kind of a contract that this negotiations are going to become fruitful. They want some kind of a pledge, a partial payment, an earnest. The earnest isn't the reality, but it is a portrayal that the reality will be realized. And so when it says here that the Holy Spirit has been given to us as an earnest, it's a partial experience of the Spirit, a partial experience of Christ, a partial experience of glory that can't be realized in its fullness in this age. And so this partiality is to cause us to look 
to the future. And as we keep our mind on the future, we find that this draws us to us more and more. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, it says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. We have these experiences of fellowship with the Spirit, fellowship with Christ, fellowship with one another, and, and they're tremendous. Sometimes they're just almost overwhelming. And yet these things that come to us need to be realized that they're only partiality. But the partiality is a part of this guarantee, a part of the sense of an earnest and a down payment that there is just much more than we will ever be able to realize in this present evil age. So the fullness of the spirit that we're speaking about here, that we enjoy, it is the fullness of the spirit, but it is still something to be magnified in the future age. It's not to be, and I had some kind of a sinus problem that I didn't realize but I got down to about 25 feet, and it would have been a disaster for my hearing to go any deeper. And so I tried to come back up to the surface. But when I came back up to the surface, about from here to where Dan is, was the, the boat was the goal. That boat was on the edge of the Gulf Stream. And I had fins, and I had arms, and I was fresh in the water. And I was swimming for all I was worth. And you know what? I wasn't making much progress. And I began to think what it would be like with five or six guys and a couple of girls. My buddy in his boat had no rope other than the anchor rope. Well, money started falling to the bottom of the ocean. Because I let this go, and I let that go, and finally I undid my weights and let them go, and I swam for all I was worth for about 10 or 15 minutes to get from here to Dan. That's the way it is. That's the way it is for us today. But we know if we have the Holy Spirit in us, he is working in this agony, this groaning that's in our lives to attain to the things of God. He is working in us. And it's not a vague and sentimental wish that we are moving towards heaven. But it is a confidence in a still future reality. And it's spoken here. The redemption or the resurrection of our bodies. And the Holy Spirit has been given to us as the first fruits that all of that is going to be realized. This is the experience of God's love now that will be eclipsed in the future glory in a place that is love itself. When we come into the presence of God, we think that we experience his love, but really we're only tasting the first fruits of it. You see how God has changed you in some way, in some dark 
corner of your life that you thought would inhibit you forever, and yet now, if you think back, it's, it's, it's something in your distant past. And you say, it's amazing the release that I have received by the work of the Holy Spirit in me. It's nothing comparison to what is going to be the release when we go into the full experience of God's love and the first fruits are realized in a consummation. In Ephesians 4.30, and the third point we want to make is that we were sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. Now, in the first things, we're given in earnest. We're given part to realize the future fullness. In the first fruits, we're given something of the consummation that is going to be realized in the future. And here in Ephesians 4 and other passages, the Holy Spirit comes in to seal us. Now, in the sense of sealing, it's, it's the sense that we're, we belong to God. It's, it's set, it's done, it's cast. The Holy Spirit has been given to us, and the day of redemption is just the next step. Kings in olden days used to use seals to mark their possessions. We used to live down almost in the Florida Panhandle, and we'd go to Pensacola Naval Air Station, and you'd go down there, and there was a fort down there. Uh, I think it's Fort Barrancas that sits there on the, the Naval Air Station property. And as you're at Fort Barrancas, you go in there, and you read the various signs, and they tell you about the various things, and you can get a little recorder, and you can walk around and press it, and it'll tell you all the various details about this fort. Well, you come to this one place in the tour, and there are oak trees. I mean, there are oak trees like maybe you haven't even seen before. But these were full-grown oak trees when the Spanish settled that area. And they're still there today. And those oak trees are referred to as naval oaks. I thought, well, what in the world does that mean, naval oaks? Uh, so I began to investigate. When those people came and settled that area, the people that did this saw those oaks and saw their worth for the great sailing ships of their day. And they immediately put the king's seal on those trees. You would cut down those trees and forfeit your life. Those were for the king's naval intentions. Now, the king wasn't using, the king never used. But those trees were marked off as belonging for the purpose, belonging for the intention, belonging for the glory of the king in some future time. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, as Paul talks about, as a seal, the Holy Spirit comes to say, you belong to God. You belong to God's purposes. You belong to God's future. You are God's for now and for eternity. And the Holy Spirit comes to seal these things in our lives. Now, all of these, when we take them as a whole, 
is to give us a sense of certainty, is to give us a sense of the spirits working in our lives that we have the assurance of our ultimate salvation. You can get a track, as you know, and you can get an evangelistic track that tells you what you need to be, do to be saved. And a lot of times when you turn to the last page of those tracks, it's got a little thing for you to fill out. And it would say on March 31st, 2010, I asked Jesus into my life. And it says, take this part of the track, stick it in your Bible, and if you ever have doubts about your salvation, read what you did on March 31st, 2010, and you signed it. And that'll give you spiritual comfort. Well, I don't think so. But I think what gives us spiritual comfort is we understand the spirits working in our lives. That is what is to give us the assurance of our salvation. We come through what we might call difficulties. We, I was counseling, and then he says, I send the Holy Spirit to be a dwelling place in you. It's the only two times that this word is used in the whole New Testament. And what we see is that the Holy Spirit is like a divine uh, house planner or housekeeper. And he comes to fit us in this world to be in that home where Jesus is now in the world to come. And so the Holy Spirit is our comforter. I want to close with two points. Again, he is for the apostles, the one who is teaching them and inspiring them to write the Holy Spirit scriptures, and he's the one that comes to us to illumine our hearts and minds to understand the scripture. And then he is the spirit of intercession. As we said, no one can pray to Jesus or to the Father except by the Spirit. And to pray along these lines, we pray in scriptural promise and purpose. We pray for the kingdom to come. That's praying in the Holy Spirit. We pray thy will be done. That's the prayer of the Holy Spirit. We pray give us this day our daily bread. That's praying in the Holy Spirit. And whenever we pray in the, in the direction of the scripture and its purpose and promises, we know that we're praying in the Holy Spirit. In all of these things, we find that the grace of the Holy Spirit's ministry is in our lives when we are weak to formulate prayers in us that affects the Father's intention.